Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. While we may not memorize large swaths of the book of 2 Kings, we can still hide the truth of your word in our heart that we might not sin against you. As we continue in an attitude of worship and a desire just to hear your voice tonight, I pray that our hearts would be open and that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. So as I was saying before we really started, uh, today we're going to continue to see the deterioration of the kingdoms that led eventually to their captivity. The northern kingdom went captive to Assyria uh, a few hundred years down the road. Um, probably not quite a few, actually. There was a ways down the road, but not that long. Uh, the southern kingdom of Judah goes into captivity to Babylon. Um, and one of the worst, Ahab and Jezebel, they had brought in the worship of Baal and made the worship of this false god the national religion. Now Elijah, in 1 Kings chapter 21, pronounced the judgment of God on Ahab for this sin, which would include the cutting off of Ahab's house, literally the death of all his descendants. God has chosen Jehu. And what you will probably notice is I'll jump back and forth between Jehu and Jehu, um, just depending on how close attention I'm paying. It should be Jehu, but I don't always pronounce it that way. But he has chosen Jehu as his instrument for judgment. And as we finished up in chapter 9, um, Jehu goes on a rampage. And he kills uh, Joram in the north. He kills Azariah, the king of Judah. And then he kills uh, Jezebel, has her thrown out a window, stomps on her with his horse, goes in and has lunch and says, well, go bury what's left of her. Um, you know, not a, not a good end. And what we're going to see tonight is really the accomplishment of God's judgment completely on the house of Ahab. Now, something that's interesting is that in accomplishing his work, God chooses to use human beings as his instruments. He doesn't have to. You know, he could preach the gospel to anybody without any of us ever saying a word. He could have easily written down what we possess as scripture without using human instruments. He could have, I mean, look at all the things that he did do without our involvement, you know, like creating everything and whatnot. Um, I was listening to, I, I don't know why, I, I'm fascinated by, oh, that's not true, I do know why, but I'm fascinated by space. So every now and then I come across a physicist or somebody who's got like a video on YouTube or Facebook or something. And um, they asked this physicist, who clearly was not a Christian, um, you know, what was, what was the one thing about the universe that boggled his mind? And so he, he went into this, this detailed um, description of the size of the universe that we can see. Right? Not the size of the universe as it is, because there's a lot beyond what we can see. 
But what we can see, and he said, it just boggles my mind that out of nothing, you know, this big bang happened, and here we are billions of years later. And just think, if, if we're only getting light from something that's 15 billion light years away, that that's at least 15 billion years older than us. It might not even be there anymore. And I'm going, or, or, to save on postage. In the beginning, God created. Now, the immensity of our universe does not lose it's it's grandeur and an awe-inspiringness. I'm sticking with it because God created it over over nothing. It just makes it more. When what's even more astounding is when you consider the trillions and trillions of stars in existence. Right? We can't see them all, and God knows their names. So cool. That was a bit of a rabbit trail. The point I'm making is he doesn't have to use you or I. In fact, I'm going to venture a guess. Things would probably go a lot smoother if he didn't. I mean, we've all experienced that, right? You ask somebody to do something and they don't do it. Anybody? Am I the only one? Right? Yeah. I've, I've been a boss. I've been a manager in, in several instances. And I'll ask... You know, many times I'm leaving for the day and I would ask, oh, can you make sure this gets done before you close? And I, oh, yeah, yeah, of course. And I go in the next morning and open the door and there it is, not done. And in the back of my mind, I'm like, I think, well, now I've got to do it anyway. I should have just done it last night and saved myself the trouble. And I wonder if God ever goes, wouldn't it just be easier for me to, I'll just do it. <laughs> just, you people go sit down and wait to die. I'll take care of the rest. But for some reason, he doesn't. In Ephesians 2.10, we are reminded that we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, that we should walk in them. I was recording my devotions. We're going to get to 2 Kings here in a moment, I promise. I was recording devotions for next week in 1 Peter. And uh, I was uh, looking at verse 10 and 11, where basically he said, as each of you has received a gift, be good stewards of the varied grace of God and use it to serve one another. And, and I'm looking at that, and the big thing I got into is that everyone does. Everyone has a gift. Not everyone has the same gift. But everyone has gifts from God that he wants to use, that we are uniquely created to use. Even though he knows we're going to mess up. Now, Jay, who's a great example of that? Aha, did you see that? No one, no one, you're like, how's he going to get back? And it was an accident completely. Uh, but Jay, who's a great example of that? Because, man, it seemed like he started off well doing the will of God. And it's actually, it's going to even look a little better when we finally get into chapter 10 here in a moment. But it doesn't last. With that, 2 Kings chapter 10, verse 1. Now Ahab had 70 sons in Samaria. Uh, keep in mind, the word for sons here is more like descendants or offspring in that they might not have all been 
uh, his sons as much as sons and grandsons. Uh, but whatever the case, there were 70 of them in Samaria. And Jehu wrote and sent letters to Samaria, to the rulers of Jezreel, to the elders and to those who reared Ahab's sons, saying, Now as soon as this letter comes to you, since your master's sons are with you, and you have chariots and horses, a fortified city also, and weapons, choose the best qualified of your master's sons. Set him on his father's throne and fight for your master's house. But they were exceedingly afraid and said, Look, Two kings could not stand up to him. How then can we stand? And he who was in charge of the house and he who was in charge of the city, the elders also and those who reared the son said to Jehu saying, we are your servants. We will do all you tell us, but we will not make anyone king. Do what is good in your sight. So he wrote a second letter to them saying, if you are for me and will obey my voice, take the heads of the men of your master's sons and come to me at Jezreel by this time tomorrow. Now the king's sons, 70 persons, were with the great men of the city who were rearing them. So it was, when the letter came to them, that they took the king's sons and slaughtered 70 persons, put their heads in baskets, and sent them to him at Jezreel. Then a messenger came and told him, saying, They have brought the heads of the king's sons. And he said, Lay them in two heaps at the entrance of the gate until morning. So it was in the morning that he went out and stood and said to all the people, You are righteous. Indeed, I conspired against my master and killed him. But who killed all these? Know now that nothing shall fall to the earth of the word of the Lord, which the Lord spoke concerning the house of Ahab, for the Lord has done what he spoke by his servant Elijah. So Jehu killed all who remained of the house of Ahab in Jezreel, and all his great men and his close acquaintances and his priests, until he left none remaining. So, interesting day in the land of Samaria in Jezreel. United, he writes them, he goes, you got 70 of Ahab's descendants, his kids there, pick one, put them on a throne, you got weapons, let's do this. And they write back, uh-uh. Nope. We're yours. We're your servants. You tell us what you want. And he goes, behead them all and bring me their heads. So they do, and they lay them at the heap. And this was um, not an uncommon practice back in the day. Uh, if you remember, go back to uh, the book of Joshua. You don't have to turn there. But as we went through the book of Joshua, it was very interesting that there were multiple occasions where uh, when Joshua and the Israelites had conquered a people, they would bring the kings out and Joshua would set his foot on the necks of the kings before beheading them. It was a sign of conquering. It was a sign of dominance is really what it was. This is no different. And it was a common practice back then. Uh, I always thought it was just an interesting piece of writing uh, in Lord of the Rings. I haven't made a Lord of the Rings comment in a while. Uh, that in Lord of the Rings, there's a scene where the bad guys catapult the severed heads of the good guys over the wall into the city, right? And they did it in the movie as well. People used to do that. That was not just imagination on the part of, of J.R.R. Tolkien, right? That they actually used to do that. Now, just picture yourself. Maybe you're 
here in Jezreel. Maybe you see all the king's sons get killed and you're like, well, Jehu was nothing. Maybe if I kill him, I could take the throne. Or, or maybe there's a conspiracy somewhere out, out in the desert in the tents going, oh man, they killed our master. We need to go take care of this Jehu guy. And then they show up at the city and there's 70 severed heads in two piles sitting in front of the gate. I'm thinking that's a pretty good deterrent. You know what? Let Jehu be king. That's fine. Let's talk about verse 10 for a second. Know now that nothing shall fall to the earth of the word of the Lord, which the Lord spoke concerning the house of Ahab. For the Lord has done what he spoke by his servant Elijah. So again, if you went back to 1 Kings 21, you would notice that Jehu was there when Elijah made this prophecy to Ahab that his entire house would be cut off. Now, Auf, at the time, I'm sure Jehu had no idea that he would have been part of it. But Isaiah 40, verse 8 says, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. The beautiful thing about this truth, here we see it in relation to God's judgment. And it's true to God's judgment. One day, all who have rejected Christ will experience that. But it also applies to his promises. And we have some pretty amazing promises given us in Jesus, our Savior. Now, I'm going to tell on myself a little bit. None of you would know, but it's kind of making me laugh inside. I left the you out of Jesus for some reason. So I was reading that sentence and I went, you know, the promises God has given us in Jess. Our sa- Jess is not our Savior. Jesus is our Savior. But I love that. Because it's those promises that give us hope. It's those promises that ground us when the world around us is reeling back and forth. It's those promises. Well, gosh, that we've, we've bet our eternity on them, haven't we? Now, at the end of this section, he looks at everybody and says, you know what? Concerning my master, you're righteous. I killed him. But what about the rest of them? Right? With the rest of them, you're guilty too. Because they stood by and allowed this to happen. The men of Jezreel perpetrated this. They, they agreed with Jehu. So now everybody... Basically, what he's saying is, yeah, I was guilty. Now we're all guilty. We're all in this together. And everybody who was left in the city of Jezreel, he destroyed as well. And not just his family, but even his acquaintances. Just imagine this roving horde going through the city. Hey, did, did, did you know Ahab? Yeah, why? Swink! You know, off, off with your head. Verse 12, Ahaziah. Oh, sorry, verse 12. And he arose and departed and went to Samaria on the way to Bethaked of the shepherds. Jehu met with the brothers of Ahaziah, king of Judah, and said, Who are you? So they answered, We are the brothers of Ahaziah. We have come down to greet the sons of the king and the sons of the queen mother. And he said, Take them alive. So they took them alive and killed them at the well of Bethaked, 42 men, and he left none of them. This is interesting to me. Bethaked literally means house of shearing. So that's why it's Bethaked of the shepherds. Apparently there was a number of shepherds in this area. 
And what I find interesting, though, is that they got this far, because it's not that far from Jezreel. They're, they're pretty well up into Samaria. And remember, um, Ahaziah was from Judah. So these guys left from Judah, right? Their brother, the king, hadn't come home after he went up to visit uh, Joram. And, ah, you know what? We should go check on our brothers, make sure everything's okay. And on their way up, I'm sure they stopped places to get water or to get food or to spend the night. And nobody brought up the idea. Nobody had never dawned on them. They didn't pick up the newspaper, right? They didn't check Facebook or whatever it was. Because at no point in time did they ever know that Joram had been killed and Isaiah had been killed and Jehu had taken over and he was on a murderous rampage of anybody who was even remotely related to Ahab, which... They would have been as Ahaziah's brothers. And so they come across Jehu, and he's like, well, Who are you guys? Oh, we're the brothers of Ahaziah. And he goes, Get him. <laughs> right? And they, they take him and they kill him at Bethekad. Uh, just it doesn't get it doesn't get better. Verse 15. Now, when he had departed from there, he met Jehonadab, the son of Rechab, uh, coming to meet him. And he greeted him and said to him, Is your heart right as my heart is toward your heart? In other words, what he asked him is, is right, Jehonadab, you know what I've done, right? Are you, are you on my side? Like, I'm, I want to be on your side, or are we going to have an issue? And Jehonadab answered and said, It is. And Jehu said, If it is. Give me your hand. So he gave him his hand and he took him up into, his, into the chariot. And he said, come with me and see my zeal for the Lord. So they had him ride in his chariot. And when he came to Samaria, he killed all who remained to Ahab in Samaria till he had destroyed them according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke to Elijah. So the rest of Ahab's family is killed to fulfill the word of the Lord. But we're going to take a moment and talk about this Jehonadab fellow. Because he's Jehonadab, the son of Rechab. Um, however, you want to you know, get that in the back of the throat right there. But what we're not told here is that Rechab was a descendant of the Kenites. Now, the Kenites, uh, I don't know, I should quiz you all because I didn't remember this either. <laughs> I was reading it and I had to I listen to his commentary that I got it back from. Um, that the Kenites were Jethro's family, Moses' father-in-law. And if you recall, when Moses led, uh, well, right before, when Joshua led them into the land, but as Moses was on the border getting ready to lead them into the land, he asked for the Kenites, for his, basically his in-laws, right, the family of his in-laws to accompany them into the land. He said, come with us, right? We're going to give you a great place. We'll, we'll give you a spot in the land. And they're like, no, no, we want to go home. We want to go home back to Midian. He's like, come on. And they agreed. And the Kenites, the descendants, right, lived among them up until now. And we're, we're a couple hundred years out at least. Uh, well, more than that, probably about 500 years, 600 years out from uh, Joshua entering the land with the Israelites. Now, they were nomads, the Kenites. Um, modern day Bedouins over in the Middle East are thought to be, or they, at least the Bedouins think they are, descendants of the Kenites. So that's kind of interesting thought. But here we're, here's where it gets really fun and why I love the Word of God so, so very much. 
Um, and you don't have to turn there, but if you would like, uh, at some point in time, in, in this evening, tomorrow, whenever, go read Jeremiah chapter 35. In Jeremiah chapter 35, there are descendants of Rechab, or the Rechabites. And they were told, they were asked to drink wine. And they refused because Jehonadab, right now this isn't recorded for us back here, but Jehonadab had commanded them, you will not drink wine. And they said, we're not going to disobey our father Jehonadab. Which, and again, you're talking, there's a good period of time between where we first read about Jehonadab here in 2 Kings and where uh, the, his descendants show up again in Jeremiah 35. Now, just to make it a little more fun, the Bedouins to this day, because of this, do not drink alcohol. I know, that was a long way about to let you know there's a nomadic people in the Middle East who don't get drunk, but I thought it was really fantastic. Verse 18. We're not going to make chapter 11, folks. Is anybody surprised? <laughs> Thank you, love. No. Verse 18. Then Jehu gathered all the people together and he said to them, Ahab served Baal a little. Jehu will serve him much. Now therefore call to me all the prophets of Baal, all his servants, all his priests. Let no one be missing. For I have a great sacrifice for Baal. Whoever is missing shall not live. And I love, I love the commentary. But Jehu acted deceptively with the intent of destroying the worshipers of Baal. And Jehu said, proclaim a solemn assembly for Baal. So they proclaimed it. Then Jehu sent throughout all Israel and all the worshipers of Baal came so that there was not a man left who did not come. So they came into the temple of Baal and the temple of Baal was full from one end to the other. And he said to the one in charge of the wardrobe, bring out vestments for all the worshipers of Baal. So he brought out vestments for them. Then Jehu and Jehonadab, the son of Rechab, went into the temple of Baal and said to the worshipers of Baal, Search and see that there are no servants of Jehovah here, but only the worshipers of Baal. So they went in to offer sacrifices and burnt offerings. Now Jehu had appointed for himself 80 men on the outside, and he said, If any of the men whom I have brought into your hands escapes, Whoever lets him escape, it shall be his life for the life of the other. Now it happened as soon as he had made an end of offering the burnt offering, the Jehu said to the guard and to the captains, go in and kill them. Let no one come out. And they killed them with the edge of the sword and the guards and the officers threw them out and went into the inner room of the temple of Baal. Uh, and we're going to go on. It's, it's, they're going to take care of this temple in a moment. But this to me is... Interesting. On one hand, I, I would like to think that Jehu was doing right. right. According to the law of God, worshipers of false gods were to be executed. Right? The temples were to be torn down, which is what we're going to see here in a moment. But did he really have to lie to get it done? Is he wrong? Right? I'm not God. 
I'm not the judge. I, I can't say Jehu. See, I did it. I slipped back into Jehu. I can't. The Jehu was right or wrong here. Um, but whatever the case, it worked. All right, right. Ahab. He. You. You thought Ahab served this. 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 Ah. You watch what Jehu does. Come on. We're gonna have a party. We're gonna have a sacrifice. We're gonna do this thing upright. And then he says, make sure everybody's wearing the vestments. So they get all, all the vestments. And then he asks the people themselves, these false worship, these worshipers of the false god, make sure there's none of the servants of Jehovah here. We don't want them here in our worship service. He's got 80 guys outside and he says, kill them all. And if one of them escapes, you die in their place. And they kill them all. Verse 26. And they brought the sacred pillars out of the temple of Baal and burned them. And they broke down the sacred pillar of Baal and tore down the temple of Baal and made it a refuse dump to this day. Um, I, I, want, I want to put this delicately. Because the word refuse there, does anybody have a different word? Yeah, thank you. Yeah, you guys have ESVs, don't you? Yeah. Right, because it, it wasn't it wasn't like they made it a pile of garbage. They made it in a bathroom. And so that you would go in go what over to the leftovers of the temple of Baal to relieve yourself. That's the uh, and that, that, that should show everybody what they thought of it. And thus, verse twenty eight, Jehu destroyed Baal from Israel. However, and this this is where it makes me just a little sad. Jehu did not turn away from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who had made Israel sin. That is, from the golden calves that were at Bethel and Dan. And the Lord said to Jehu, Because you have done well in doing what is right in my sight, and have done to the house of Ahab all that was in my heart, your sons shall sit on the throne of Israel to the fourth generation. But Jehu took no heed to walk in the law of Jehovah, God of Israel, with all his heart, for he did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam, who made Israel sin. So God says, you know what? You did good. You did exactly what I asked you to do, for the most part. But what didn't he do? He didn't get rid of the golden calves. And he never turned his heart completely to the Lord. I've pointed this out multiple times as we've gone through Scripture over the last... Uh, I don't know if you guys... Uh, not everybody probably realizes this, but uh, January, and I, I should have thought of it, but we started the book of Gen Genesis, January 2021. So we have been making our way through Scripture in three years, for three years. My initial goal was to go through the whole Bible in five. We're not going to make it. It's not going to happen. But I've pointed this out several times. We, we talked a lot about it when we were dealing with Samson. Uh, we talked about it with Eli. We talked about it with Saul. Um, and there, there, um, there's been a few others along the way. But here we're talking about it again. Jehu had an opportunity. When he was anointed king, he was essentially told... If you, if you do what you're supposed to do, 
you'll be established. And he did really well. And God says, all right, I'll give you four generations. Right? So his great, great, great grandson will, will sit on the throne of Israel. But that's it. Right? His legacy had an expiration date. And so what I wonder is this. What would have or could have happened in Israel and for Jehu's family if he had turned his heart to the Lord and he had walked in his ways? Right? It's, it's the what if. Now that's a question we don't get an answer to. And not a surprise to God that he continued in the idolatry that Jeroboam started with the golden calves. Right? But I just, I think of wasted potential. Just wasted potential. If Jehu did exactly what he wanted, what he want, God wanted him to do, if he had walked in his ways, if he had gotten rid of all of the idolatry, if he had reestablished the worship of the one true God, then maybe things would have turned out differently for his family and for Israel. I pray, and I pray this for myself, and I pray this for all of us, that none of us will ever fall short of all that God has for us because of our own unwillingness or our own sinfulness or anything else. Verse 32. In those days, the Lord began to cut off parts of Israel. Remember that ball rolling downhill, picking up speed? Here it is. And Hazael conquered them in all the territory of Israel. From the Jordan eastward, all the land of Gilead, Gad, Reuben, and Manasseh, from Aror. Every time that word comes up in the Bible, A-R-O-E-R. I cannot pronounce it. Aror, which is by the river Arnon. I can pronounce that one, including Gilead and Bashan. Now the rest of the acts of Jehu, all that he did, all his might, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel? They are, but we don't have that book. So Jehu rested with his fathers, and they buried him in Samaria. Then Jehoahaz, his son, reigned in his place. And the period Jehu reigned over Israel in Samaria was 28 years. So it's, it's the beginning of the end, right? It's the beginning of the end. All this area that they had conquered. Now remember... Gad, Reuben, and half the tribe of Manasseh had settled on the other side of the Jordan. They crossed over with the children of Israel to help them conquer the land, but then they went back and they settled on the side of, of uh, the Jordan where they had conquered um, Og. And is it Sihon? Is that the other one? I can't remember. Um, I know one of them was Og because that's just a name you don't forget. Uh, and But Reuben, Gad, and half-tribe Manasseh, they stayed over there because it was good for their, they were shepherds, they were keepers of livestock, and it was a good area for them. Um, not anymore. They just had to flee across the Jordan back to what we might consider like mainland Israel because Hazael took all of it. And he took a bunch of other stuff. Stuff that was theirs. And they lost it. Jehu did a bunch of other stuff, 
And interestingly enough, since we don't have the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel, right, First and Second Chronicles is the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Judah, uh, but we don't have the books of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel. Uh, so we don't know what else Jehu did other than what's recorded for us here. Uh, I believe he's mentioned in Chronicles a couple times. And so he died after 28 years, and his son um, Jehoahaz reigned in his place. And the world's most evil grandmother will have to wait till next week. Uh, we'll pick up in chapter 11. Yeah, we're gonna, we'll, we'll pick up in chapter 11 next week. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. There are so many things that we can learn from your word tonight. So many lessons, God, that we should be so careful to not forget. Father, you have created each of us for a good work, to be instruments in the hands of our master. Help us to yield to you in that. You've shown us time and time again that the truth of your word will never fail. Help us, Father, to take that very seriously as we read your word. And also, Lord, to know that those promises that are waiting for us are as sure as the next breath we take. Give us wisdom, Lord, to not be like Jehu. Because you can start as good as you want, but what matters is how you finish. And, and Jehu started well, Lord, and he finished very poorly. So I pray, Father, that you would hold us, that you would keep us, that you would strengthen us, and you would guide us so that we can walk into all that you have for us. For your glory, in Jesus' name.